What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. The early morning hours of Thursday, August 4th, 2022. No Cardinals game to break down in this episode of the show because they rained out on Wednesday against the Chicago Cubs. Could see that one coming. The forecast was ugly. Lots of storms and rain in the area, and so it will be a doubleheader on Thursday at Bush Stadium, 12-15 and 645. What that means, though, is no baseball, no actual baseball to break down here on today's B-Shape Daily. However, though I contemplated not doing an episode at all, I thought, how much fun would that be? The answer, not very. So we do have some fun stuff in store for today, as I think all the conversation surrounding the trade deadline is what prompted my mind into this sort of mindset. I want to take a look into the future a couple of years from today. Let's flash forward 24 months and talk about what the St. Louis Cardinals starting lineup could look like. Because obviously, had the Cardinals pursued and landed Juan Soto, who made his debut for the Padres this evening, if the Cardinals had gotten that deal done, it would have meant a very different looking future for the Cardinals. And I think there are fans on both sides of the spectrum at this point in time in the aftermath of that situation, the pursuit, and then coming up short in the bid for Soto. There are those fans who say, you know, it's probably for the best. The Cardinals kept a lot of their future intact. They didn't have to give up anything substantial at the deadline in terms of young pieces, young prospects. They got a couple of pitchers, Quintana and Jordan Montgomery. That's good. That'll help them for the rest of this year. And perhaps Montgomery is able to stabilize the rotation a little bit in 2023, but they didn't have to give up any prospects. So the future still looks pretty bright. And I'm a fan of that as a fan of the Cardinals. There are people in that camp. And then there are probably people in the other camp who say, uh, forget the prospects, flags fly forever, and Juan Soto may have given you a chance to win a flag, may have given you an opportunity for a pennant and to win a world championship, and it sucks that the Cardinals didn't do that. Totally a fair observation on that side of the fence as well. I think either point of view is within reason, but because the Cardinals went the route they did, this exercise gets a little bit more fun. So we're going to look 24 months into the future and try to predict, at least using the players that are currently on the Cardinals now, we can maybe take a peek into the free agent classes and try to do some predicting. But that gets really difficult because we just won't know what the exact needs are at the time. But we'll look at, at the very minimum. We'll look within the organization, talk about what is obvious, what is evident about what the lineup could look like a couple of years from now. And then we'll talk about maybe the areas where if we're wrong, here's how we might end up being wrong. Here's who the answers at the certain positions could be if our initial projections are not eventually correct. So we'll go into a little bit of crystal ball game and have a little fun doing that. I also want to start the show, though, before we get into some of that with a very interesting Adam Wainwright statistic that was shared on Twitter this afternoon by the Foolish Baseball Twitter account. I want to talk about that for a minute before we get into the futurism. We'll take a, a blast to the past and, and the present, obviously, because Adam Wainwright is still doing it, which is partially the point of the stat that was shared on Twitter today. And then we'll go into the future with a look at what the Cardinals of tomorrow could look like. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you, you can subscribe and download B-Shape Daily at any of your fine podcasting locations. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts are some of the favorite locations. Head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms, and there you can locate all the potential places to find and listen to B-Shape Daily. And if you'd like to support the show, head on over to Twitter at bshafer12. Click on the Money tab next to the Follow button, and there you'll be linked to my Venmo or my Cash app. 
where you can contribute a buck or two if you're so inclined. Help support the B-Shape Daily Show if you like what you hear and keep this thing rolling as the Cardinals get into now the stretch run of the season. Lots of opportunities sits in front of this team, and we'll be here to break it all down as the hunt for October continues right here on B-Shape Daily. But with that out of the way, let's get into the content of the show for today. I want to share this Adam Wainwright stat that I saw on Twitter earlier Wednesday afternoon. And it's not a number that really surprised me because we know that Adam Wainwright has been doing some special things over the last few years. But even if it didn't surprise me to see it, I think it's important to take a step back and acknowledge it every once in a while that what we're seeing from Adam Wainwright isn't normal, isn't regular. It's pretty special, pretty fantastic. And it's something that I don't think anybody would have expected four years ago on this day. If you take us back exactly four years in time, it would have been August of 2018 and Adam Wainwright's career. I think if you would have asked, if you would have taken a poll of Cardinals fans, Cardinals fans probably said, yeah, Adam Wainwright's Cardinals career might have, well, how, how much time is left in this season? That's how long Adam Wainwright's got left with the Cardinals at that point in time, because he wasn't pitching, hadn't pitched in that 2018 season since May. So it had been several months. If you recall, he came back toward the end of the season in September. Even then it didn't look quite right. For Adam Wainwright, you might recall there were some games four or five years ago when Wainwright was throwing like 81 miles per hour during those periods where he was having arm trouble and couldn't get things figured out. And toward the end of 2018, he said he found something. He felt finally healthy again. And that was sort of the beginning of the renaissance of Adam Wainwright. And from there, we've seen something that was pretty unlikely. I mean, if you go back, it's kind of a fun little exercise to go back and look. You can Google this now. Google Adam Wainwright 2018 and and see some of the, the takes and the opinions on what people thought of his career and what people where people thought it was heading at that point in time. I pulled this up on fan graphs, and it's like a fantasy baseball profile that they had written up. They write them up for each player. And you go back in 2018, and it's like a time capsule. It says this is not how nor when it was supposed to end. The 2018 season will be Adam Wainwright's last as a Cardinal. It's hard to know not only where he'll end up afterward, but also in what capacity he'll be used. Nothing's there. The whiffs, the command, the base runner suppression, the contact control, the durability, it's all gone. He's a shell of his former self, grinding along until he cracks the Hall of Fame ballot. It goes on to say, Adam Wainwright is a shell of his former self, scraping together whatever's left in the tank just to flirt with league average production. Age, durability, and performance concerns render him mostly useless for fantasy purposes in 2018 and beyond. And 2018, obviously, was a rough season because he spent most of it on the injured list. But uh, the sentence that says, Father Time catches up to us all, evidently not. Not for Wainwright, because here he is in the most unlikely of circumstances. And I mean, that's just one little article, one little blurb that I found on Fangraphs. There's an SI article that says, as an epic career winds down, you know, everybody assumed that Wainwright was done. I shudder to go back and think about what, comments exist still out there on Twitter. So the things that I probably said myself counting Adam Wainwright out. And then I recall there was a point, I don't know if it was 2019 or maybe early 2020 where I said, Nope, never doing that again. Not going to count out Adam Wainwright. I will be going to the grave, assuming that Adam Wainwright can do the thing that everybody else assumes he cannot do because I made the mistake once I like everyone else thought in 2018 that he was done and I'm never going to doubt him again. If you tell me that he's going to pitch in 2023, I'd say, yep, probably. Probably. Even though he's talked about 
wanting to spend more time with his family. His family can't get a dog until he retires. And so that's something that they've been putting off. And it would stand to reason that this would be the final season in 2022. That being said, he's pitching at the top of his game, man. Not just the top of his game, but the top of Major League Baseball. Here's the tweet from Foolish Baseball at FoolishBB on Twitter. Adam Wainwright leads all pitchers in innings with 402.1 since 2020 and has the eighth best ERA among qualified starters in that time frame. Leads all MLB pitchers in innings since the beginning of 2020. Adam Wainwright. And it's just not mediocre innings he's logging. Eighth best ERA of 3.09 among qualified starters in that time frame. I saw that today and I thought that is just remarkable. And then I retweeted it saying, imagine being told four years ago today that this Adam Wainwright stat would be a thing in August, 2022. And then I did a little bit of digging myself to think, my goodness, 402 innings since the beginning of 2020, that wasn't even a full season and we're not finished with this one. So really it's about two seasons ish. And that math, ended up checking out because if you did 162, 162, you'd come up with 324. And right now the Cardinals have played since the beginning of 2020, if I'm not mistaken, 323 games because it was 58 in that COVID season. They didn't need the last two to make the playoffs. So essentially it's the equivalent of about two full seasons from 2015 to 2018, four full seasons spanning about 648 regular season games, unless they had a year in there where they only played 161 and I forgot, but about 648 games, about double the amount. Wainwright threw 390 and a third innings pitched over those four seasons in essentially two seasons since the beginning of 2020, 402 innings. So about 12 more innings. It's just crazy that everybody counted this guy as done. Father time, yada, yada, yada. He wasn't healthy. He needed to get healthy to be able to do what he's done. But he got that elbow fixed. He got the arm fixed. He talked. To, he's talked a lot about changing his diet, changing his workout regimen, and has become, once again, just a ridiculously durable major league starting pitcher who is a top-line guy, top-of-the-rotation kind of guy. 3.11 is his ERA this season following the seven shutout innings he threw against the Cubs on Tuesday night. It's just crazy. It's crazy, and for as much as we do talk about it, it feels like we take it for granted at this point because, again, it's been four years since he was in that period of 2018 where he missed the majority of the summer, couldn't get healthy, came back a little bit at the end. It didn't look great, but it was enough for him that he thought, this feels different. I want to give this a go again in 2019. And uh, Adam Wainwright did exactly that, and and the rest is history. Wasn't as effective that season, but I remember him being really sharp at home in 2019. And from there, he's been 3.15 ERA, 3.05 ERA, 3.11 ERA. Threw over 200 innings last year, is on target to approach that kind of performance again. This season, and after his start on Tuesday, I believe it was Brandon Kiley of 101 ESPN at BK Sports Talk on Twitter, he asked Wainwright about the longevity and the ability to be durable and go deep into games. And I believe the stat was that he leads all MLB. Well, he's second among all MLB pitchers over the last, whatever it was, two years, three years 
in seven innings or longer starts with 25, I believe the number was. And he said, well, who's first? And then he immediately said, oh, it's probably Sandy. Yeah, it is. Sandy Alcantara, who, by the way, today threw a nine-inning shutout because that's what he does. But Adam, Adam Wainwright is up there doing those kinds of things with some of the most dominant young arms. You know, Sandy Alcantara is 26. Adam Wainwright is 40. And what he's doing is just remarkable. I personally would love to see him give it one more go next year because if he does, he'll definitely get to 200 wins. Right now he's at 192. And though it's theoretically possible he could run the table and get to 200 this season, you don't control your pitcher win. You know, there are other aspects of that that are beyond your control as a pitcher. So odds are he won't get to 200 this year, but he's still so sharp. The Cardinals could use him for another thing. But, you know, Yadi will be gone. He's He's been very clear about wanting to make that decision after the season. It's not a, hasn't used the R word, isn't talking about it yet. Everybody else is trying to retire him, but he hasn't said anything about it. And he's deserved the right, by the way, after 17 years in Major League Baseball to decide when he wants to walk away. So that's part of it. I'm not going to decide for him. I'm not going to do the thing where we pontificate on it because he hasn't said, and we'll respect his wishes on that. I'd love to see him one more year. The family aspects and, and just knowing that gravitational pull for him is is going to be a strong one could keep him from from coming back. But he'll be at peace with the decision whenever he makes it. That's one thing for sure. But I look at his numbers, man. Now up over 2,500 career innings. Says he's only got three career saves. And uh, I think you can add a few more from the postseason in 2006 to that list. But 192 career victories, a 3.34 ERA, 2,100 strikeouts. You know where I'm going with this. I mean, if Adam Wainwright didn't have that torn Achilles in 2015, right in the middle of his prime, and then the arm issues started basically right after that where he wasn't as effective in 16-17 and had a little elbow surgery after 17 and then had issues again in 18. But man, if not for that Achilles... Adam Wainwright was like legit dominant in 2013 and 2014, winning 19 games and then 20 games, ERAs of 294-238, workhorse 241 innings leading the league in 2013, and then the next year 227 innings. Talk about strikeout totals, he still had them, 219 in that 2013 season when he finished number two in the Cy Young. It's a crying shame that Adam Wainwright has never won a Cy Young, by the way. Finished third in 14. Finished second in 2010. Finished third in 2009. I mean, he should have won one of those, but I'll tell you what. Man, missed the 2011 season, by the way, which happens. You know, he had, had the Tommy John that year. A lot of pitchers do end up over the course of time. If you're going to be around as long as Adam Wainwright's been, you're probably missing at least... One full season due to an elbow. And that's just the nature of the game. But if not for the Achilles, which was a freak thing while he was batting, you stack up another 200 innings that year, another couple hundred strikeouts, 180 strikeouts or so. He's to, he's to 200 wins at that point. Man, if you talk about character too being built into a Hall of Fame resume, Adam Wainwright's got that kind of resume. I don't think he's going to get in with what we're seeing at this point, if he hangs it up after the season, just because of 
the counting numbers won't quite be there. Uh, if he pitches in 2023, though, I don't. You're going to have a, a hard time. Uh, me personally, you're going to have a hard time telling me not to vote for this guy if that's the case down the road, which may be an opportunity I, I would get as BBWAA, depending. You got to be in the BBWA for 10 years. And Wainwright would not hit the ballot till five years after he retires. I've been in for a couple of years to be close. I think he would need a certain percentage to stay on the ballot long enough for, for myself to get there. But I would look at those numbers and I would look at in terms of uh, what the Hall of Fame looks at for that kind of resume. You, I mean, Adam Wainwright deserves at least a little bit more consideration than I think he's going to get. And if he hadn't had that whole 2015 and 2011 washed out, that's two full seasons essentially washed out during the prime of his career, it would be a really, really interesting conversation. And now I just don't think nationally he's going to quite get enough uh, love as much as he should. But hey, there's nothing to say that he can't come back next year and throw another 30 starts and and continue to do what he's done. Like I said, I'm not going to count him out. I ain't going to be the one to do it. Somebody else can do that, but it's not going to be me. But I just want to talk a little Adam Wainwright because, again, Cardinals rained out on Wednesday, no game to discuss, and he was just so good on Tuesday and has been so good for the last several years for the Cardinals that uh, it, I saw that tweet and just thought, man, that's going to be perfect to just give give myself an opportunity to gush about what we've seen from Adam Wainwright in St. Louis the last few years and really over the course of his entire Cardinals career. But, hey, what you came for was talking about the future. So let's do that. 2024. Cardinals' number one starting pitcher will be Adam Wainwright. Of course, he'll still be here. No, we're not actually going to get into the pitching rotation tonight. We're just going to do the lineup. The pitching rotation might make everybody too sad. So with with the lack of really young, touted pitching names that the Cardinals have at this point, but we could maybe do that another day. The next time there's a rain out or a, a light day on the schedule, we can maybe go with uh, look into the future on what the starting pitching game could look like for the Cardinals down the road. But let's just do the lineup for now. And I think it's a pretty interesting conversation to have. There are a couple of players, obvious ones, in terms of the Cardinals' top prospect list that I think by two years from now, 24 months from today, will be involved in this starting lineup. A lot of the names are going to be familiar because, again, we don't know a lot about where the Cardinals could go with trades. It's hard to predict those. It's hard to predict free agent acquisitions. So for the most part, we're going to just kind of stick to what is within the organization right now, and we could, within reason, expect. And then we could talk about, okay, what are the positions that could we could end up being wrong on, and where are the obvious places to upgrade, potentially. So let's get into it. I'm going to go one through nine. I'm going to give you the position and the spot in the batting order just to have a little bit of extra fun where I'd like to see these guys in the batting order. And we'll start at the top. And it's really the man of the hour, the man of the week for the St. Louis Cardinals, Dylan Carlson. Batting first, leading off for the Cardinals and playing center field in 2024, I think is Dylan Carlson. At that point, he'll still be under team control. He's under team control through 2026. And I think he can settle in as a capable leadoff man. You want to see more on-base percentage from him uh, compared to what he's done this year. But last season, 343 was his on-base. And I think he can settle in. Dylan can ultimately be that guy in the 350 range who's got some pop to his game as well, and can settle in as a leadoff hitter. There are other directions you could go with this, but I'm going to give Dylan the benefit of the doubt. The Cardinals have begun to slide him back into that role more recently. He was in there on Tuesday at Bush Stadium, homered in that game. 
I'm going to say that Dylan is about to go on a run here and turn things on to show Cardinals fans why the team kept him, why the team didn't want to trade him away in a Juan Soto deal, along with, by the way, a lot of other top prospects. It wouldn't have just been the Carlson for Soto swap. If that were the case, even though Carlson has the extra years of control, I would think you have to just make that deal. No offense to Dylan, but Juan Soto is, as Adam Wainwright said on Tuesday, one of the greatest players on the planet. He is unbelievable as an offensive force. There's no denying that. But Cardinals would have had to give up more than just Carlson. And what they do get in Carlson is the man that's going to roam center field for the next five years in St. Louis. Well, I guess four and a half years through 2026 and hopefully longer if the Cardinals can see his play and allow him to play out that team control until it's time to sign him to an extension if he's worthy of it. And he can be a a longtime fixture in St. Louis. But he's my leadoff man in this little exercise. I think Dylan's going to be able to put it together and be a legitimate offensive piece for the Cardinals in the coming years. Batting second. Now it gets fun, baby. Now it gets fun. Batting second, playing right field, Jordan Walker. Currently the Cardinals' top prospect was a first-round pick in the 2020 MLB draft. And I think Jordan Walker is going to make that switch to the outfield. We've already seen the process begin, and it was immediate upon the Harrison Bader trade to New York. Not an hour, hour and a half later, was Jordan Walker roaming left field for the Springfield Cardinals. He's going to play all three outfield positions, and that is really interesting to me because now we can't look at it and say, well, he's hitting really well, but why would they call him up? Why would they continue to progress him and they don't know where he's going to play. They're going to have to figure that out. It looks like they're already starting that. So that'll be another box you can check off if Jordan Walker is able to handle himself. They say all three outfield positions has been the report. I don't think he's going to need to stick in center field. He's a very, he's a big guy, large frame, six foot five. I don't think you're going to see him in center field, but man, is that guy going to make a nice fine right fielder? They put him in left on Tuesday. That's fine. He's going to be a right fielder. And I think 24 months from now, honestly, probably sooner, Jordan Walker's going to be in St. Louis. If he continues to hit the way that he has, top 10 prospect in all of Major League Baseball, or Minor League Baseball, I guess, technically. This year with A Springfield, hitting 301 with a 386 on base and a 508 slug. The plate discipline is tremendous. To see a kid at just 20 years old, just turned 20 in May, by the way. So he started the A season at 19, playing against players an average age of 24 and a half, 24.3. So he's still over four years younger than the average competition against whom he is playing at the double A level. But the fact that he can go and compile a 386 on base percentage at that age, at that level is just, it's bonkers. The power hasn't come in yet the way that it might, but even still last weekend, you know, he hit four home runs, 12 home runs on the season 20, uh, pardon me, 44 Runs batted in with 15 stolen bases and 19 attempts. A lot of guys tend to run at the minor league level. I don't think he's going to be a a base stealer in the bigs, but it's good to see that he's agile enough to do it right now. He's batting 300. So there is no box right now that Jordan Walker is not checking. If you're a batting average honk, you got it. He's hitting 300. If if on-base percentage is more your speed, you got it, 386. You want to see power? He's doing that. 12 home runs, 24 doubles, and three triples equates to a 508 slugging percentage and an 894 OPS at 20 years old. So, yeah, here's my plan for Jordan Walker. And, again, it's going to be dependent upon him continuing to hit the way that he has. But if he continues to progress, 
I wouldn't even be surprised to see him get the Dylan Carlson treatment from 2019 at the end of this season, maybe a promotion to Memphis in September and see what he can do there. You remember for Dylan, when that happened, he just tore the cover off the ball in AAA, and 2020 was when he made his debut with the Cardinals that next season. For Jordan Walker, he got drafted in 2020 and didn't get to play any pro ball. Didn't get to play that August and September because, of course, COVID. And there was no minor leagues that year. So he was a little behind in the development, perhaps, but at age 19 last year, did everything you'd want to see, a 936 OPS across A ball and then got the promotion to high A and then made the leap to double A and hasn't missed a beat this year. So he's... I'm telling you, I know he's only 20 years old. I know the Cardinals historically have not been quick to promote their young, young talents. Everybody thought, well, you waited so long for Dylan Carlson. He could have maybe come up sooner. I think Jordan Walker might might be up. It could be within the next 12 months. I'm not going to predict that it will be, but I, I could see a path to it being that. And the path is get a, get your feet wet with a cup of coffee at AAA at the end of this year. Start next season at AAA and ultimately get a call-up sometime during the summer of 2023 if the bat dictates that you need to be up. I think at that point, the Cardinals would call up Jordan Walker. He'd be 21 years old. It's pretty young, but it's happened before, and uh, he could be that caliber of prospect for sure. And by the way, it could be that he just hits so well the rest of the season, maybe does get the AAA opportunity, maybe he doesn't regardless ends up getting a longer look at spring training in 2023. And depending on how that goes, I don't think he's going to necessarily break camp with the team. But I'm just saying it's in his range of outcomes to leave Jupiter, Florida with the St. Louis Cardinals next spring. I think that's possible. I don't think I would predict it. I don't think it's likely. But I don't think I would sit here and tell you today that it's impossible. So by midsummer 2024, we're talking two years from today. Yeah, I've got Jordan Walker as my number two hitter for the St. Louis Cardinals playing right field. A lot more familiar names here coming up. Still batting third is Paul Goldschmidt playing first base. He'll be in the final year of his contract at that point, 36 years old. Uh, Yeah, hopefully he's able to continue hitting the way that he has. I know that maybe two years from now, Paul Goldschmidt at, at his age may not be the consummate number three hitter in a lineup, but I think with Carlson Walker in front of him, you still got something special. And then Nolan there in the four hole. Uh, yeah, I've got Nolan Arenado. I'll keep going down the list. He's my cleanup hitter in 2024, two days from two days from now. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he will be the cleanup hitter two days from now. Two years from now, though, as well, I've got Nolan Arenado penciled in. I know he's got the opt-out. You got to go somewhere else. Go find a different Cardinals podcast if you want someone to tell you that Nolan Arenado is going to opt out at the end of 2022 because I'm not going to tell you that. And I'm going to continue not to tell you that until it doesn't happen, which is the most likely result. Or it happens, and I can spend multiple podcasts in October and November whenever that news comes down telling you how wrong I was. But I don't see it happening. I don't see there. There's not a chance it happens. I would be stunned if it did. The one little caveat, the one little part that I do look at is the end of his contract is a little lighter, right? He makes $35 million, $35 million. That's this year, next year, and in 2024 will be another thirty-five. And then 32, and then 27, it starts de-escalating. And then 15 million the year after that. So that would be 2027, which is like, okay, Nolan Arenado playing for 15 million doesn't make any sense. But that was something added, I believe, upon the trade to St. Louis as just like a, a bonus to get him to agree to the trade. Players have leverage in those situations. And so 
I think the Cardinals would obviously have to restructure with him at some point. I That could happen as early as this offseason. If he says, no, I don't want to opt out, but let's go ahead and let's take me to the end of my career with what a contract would look like. Cardinals might do that. That's possible. I don't know. I don't see Nolan Arenado leaving. The I mean, if the Cardinals absolutely tanked down the stretch and finished below 500 and there was turmoil in the clubhouse, like, sure, anything can happen. I don't think any of those things are going to happen. And I expect Arenado to be here in 2024. And so for now, that's really all I have to say about it. And so he would be the the cleanup hitter in that situation for me. Number five, Tyler O'Neill. And this is a spot that maybe we talk about could actually look a little different by then, but he would still be under team control through 2024. And if he's anything like what he was in 2021 when he hit an OPS of 912 and finished top 10 in the MVP vote, that batting number five in your lineup, the same that, you know, the same logic that we have now about Tyler O'Neill in the middle of the lineup would be tremendous. He still has to show that. And if he doesn't, there will come a point at which he is traded or something something different happens. Really, a trade would be the most obvious situation. And he's a guy that would have value to other teams. But I think the Cardinals would like to see him with being the total package of an offensive player who plays really good defense, two gold gloves and left. There's a lot to like about it. His speed is a, a big attribute for him as well. There's a lot to like about Tyler O'Neill. And so if it works out, that's, again, we're talking about uh, not necessarily the most likely scenario, but we're talking about the the way that it could break in an obvious direction. And that would be O'Neill just playing well and continuing to be here. After we wrap up the lineup, we'll talk about what some alternatives to that could be. Batting sixth, I've got Nolan Gorman. Stayed with the Cardinals here through the trade deadline. Uh, the positional thing gets a little bit tricky right now. I've got him listed officially as DH, but we, as we know, he'll play some second base. He could even play some third base by then. He could play some first base by then. Uh, Jordan Walker could play some first base by then. But I've got him in the lineup, and I've got Nolan Gorman still here with the Cardinals at that point. It's just about living up to, to, the, to the billing offensively, and right now he's doing that as a rookie. A 759 OPS, slugging near 450, on base above 300 at 313, a little bit of a low batting average at 238, but that's to be expected. That's kind of what you figured you'd get with Nolan Gorman uh, because there are some holes in that swing. He does strike out more than you'd like to see, but the power's still there. 11 home runs in 214 play appearances this season. That's a that's a good track of about 30 homers if you, if you gave him a full season of starting at-bats and starting plate appearances. So he's already doing that as a rookie. He's doing that right now at 22 years old, and I think there's more to come for Nolan Gorman. So if that's your guy batting sixth in 2024, again, I think that's solid for a Cardinals lineup. Let's have a little bit more fun now. I'm going with the shortstop at seven. Batting seventh, playing shortstop, number one. Well, he can't play. He can't be number one. He was in the Futures game, but he can't be because uh, somebody already has done that in St. Louis. But we're talking Mason Wynn. And yes, I do believe two years from now, you could definitely see Mason Wynn as the Cardinals starting shortstop. We know his arm is there. Beat the StatCast record of O'Neill Cruz with that uh, throw in the Futures game over 100 miles per hour on the, the 6-3 putout. But what he's done already this season, I think, is at 20 years old, has been impressive. Started out in high A in Peoria and OPS 970 with 15 steals and 15 opportunities. And okay, he comes up. Give him a chance. Have him join Jordan in double A. What he's done at, again, 20 years old, just like Walker, 276 average, 345 on base, and a 452 slug. Eight home runs in double A, which is interesting because he had one home run in 147 plate appearances at the lower level, and then he's come up in 239 plate appearances and hit eight homers. 
I don't know what kind of – I think he's going to be probably a, a 10 to 19 home run guy at the big league level. I don't think he's ever going to be a, necessarily a 20 home run guy, but who am I to say? He's a guy that could still get a lot stronger, can fill out. Wouldn't that be fantastic if he did turn into a, a power threat like that? But he's got good speed. He's got. Good, he's just a very athletic kid. And uh, I've got him batting seventh. I could see a scenario where he's your leadoff hitter. And you bump Dylan Carlson down to number two or to number five with, with T- Tyler O'Neill going to six. I, I, I mean, you've got you got seven potentially pretty darn good hitters lined up right here, and it could be fun to see if Ollie Marmel uh, wants to mix it up a little bit two years from now, how he would like to put those guys into an order. Carlson, Walker, Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neill, Gorman, and Mason Wynn, number seven, is what I have right now. And again, at 20 years old, I think he's done enough at AA this year to, I'm not saying he's going to get called up to AAA at the beginning of next year. It may be he starts at AA, gets his feet wet a little bit more, and can have mostly a full season at AAA in 2023. And then by spring training uh, 2024, if he continues to progress the way that he has offensively and and learning the game at, at this pro level, it's possible that coming into the beginning of 2024, Mason wins getting a long look in spring training. I'd be surprised maybe to see him before that, but again, maybe not so much because offensively, he may not have the Jordan Walker power upside that we envision for him. Mason Wynn might be more of that that chore stop that if his defensive game is developed enough and they think he can come up and just be a sturdy 260, 270 hitter with a 330, 340 on base and maybe have a slugging percentage in that, I don't know, 420 range and he's OPSing 750, 760, that'd be phenomenal. You would take that from a, a guy who should be a premium defender at shortstop. So I've got Mason Wynn. Two years from now, I think he could be. I think he could make that leap. And then catcher, we got to get to the catcher position. I don't love this spot. Andrew Kisner would still be under team control at that point. Ivana Rare is the number three prospect for the Cardinals on MLB Pipeline, but I don't think the Cardinals. I don't get the sense they were super impressed with his readiness at least this summer and the opportunities he got during Yachty being injured, hitting just one eleven. He got only twenty two plate appearances. Not a lot to show for it offensively. Uh, defensively, maybe a work in progress still in terms of calling the game and things of that nature. 788, though, is his OPS at Memphis this year, so I do believe he could turn into a guy who OPS is 700 at the big leagues and just needs to develop a little more defensively. Again, he's the top prospect for a reason, top catching prospect in the organization, a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. Right now, I'm going to say it's Yvonne Herrera, but I do think that's one of the areas that we can most quickly talk about and say, all right, they may need to figure something else out. And that may be the the most obvious spot for a trade and then sign a guy or a free agent acquisition at some point, especially with Yachty coming out this year. Like, hey, Wilson Contreras is going to be a free agent. That guy, you know he can rake. And if you if you wanted to go that route after this year, maybe that is uh, is the way you go if you don't trust what you have coming up in Herrera and what you've got right now in Andrew Kisner. I'm not saying this is a guarantee, but maybe something they look at. And then the nine hole, you can bet the catcher ninth, but I like having that double leadoff spot. And I'm going Tommy Edmond slash Brendan Donovan. I think one of those two guys could hold down the second base spot. Uh, I, I give the edge to Edmond, already the incumbent gold glover. I do think Edmond has the uh, the chops offensively to stick around. He would still be very much under team control. I think he'd be into arbitration by that point in 2024. But with what he brings defensively uh, of the Colton Wong mold, you're going to see some good things offensively. He's going to steal bases. He's going to get you doubles. He's going to score runs. And batting ninth is that second leadoff guy. I think it'd be pretty good. If Edmund uh, trails off or they decide they needed to trade him in 
uh, a quote-unquote baseball move to get some pieces that they need at other spots. Brendan Donovan, I think, could definitely hold down that starting job at second base. He's impressed with what he's done this year. I think he'd be more of a nine-hole batter. I don't know that he's got the offensive chops long-term to hang in a higher spot in the batting order, in, the, in say, six or in one of the power spots or the leadoff spot. But I do like Brendan Donovan's game, and I think there's a lot there to uh, to continue to explore for the Cardinals. And uh, so he's getting some consideration here. It's kind of a, I wrote Edmund slash Donovan, but I do give the edge to Tommy Edmund as of right now. So that's my one through nine. I think it's a fun exercise, something that we can do every once in a while on B-Shape Daily when major changes happen. Uh, Harrison Bader being tra- traded is a major change that impacts this chart. But I do think this is what we expected all along. Harrison Bader would have been a free agent after 2023. I think that would have been a more natural time for Carlson to come in and take over that center field job. However, with Bader's injury this summer, Carlson had the chance to show that he can do it right now. And the Cardinals said, yeah, we agree. And we're going to trade Bader for pitching because even though we like him a lot, it's a business. And right now our business needs more pitching. And he's a way that we can acquire it uh, without subtracting from our 2024 and beyond future. Harrison just didn't have a role in that, I think, anymore with with Carlson sort of Wally pipping him. And I've talked to you about the offensive aspect of that. What is Bader offensively? He's a guy that's going to hit 260 uh, on base, maybe 320, 330, and he's going to slug a little bit. But if his OPS is 740 or whatever, that's fine. And uh, you're going to get value out of that. But for a lineup, that's not anything that you're over the moon about offensively. Carlson has similar mold, I think, with just a little bit more upside to hit for a better average, to have a little more on base, and to maybe pop a little bit more in the power department. Not by my much. I think they're rather similar in that regard. Bader maybe strikes out a little bit more, Dylan a little bit more disciplined. But other than that, relatively similar. So you don't necessarily want those guys in center and right field offensively. Defensively, it's great because you have a gold glover in left, a gold glover in center, and Dylan would have won a gold glove in right. I'm sure it would have been just a matter of time. But offensively, they're kind of similar guys, and I think from those corner outfield spots, you just need more power. Uh, This lineup just needs to find a guy in that right field spot to be able to provide some of the 30 home run pop that I just don't think Dylan has maybe in his repertoire. Not doesn't mean he's a bad fit for this team, but I think he's a different fit and a much better fit as the center fielder with a power hitting right fielder to his left. You know, his left if he's facing home plate. You know, I'm bad with mirrors, so I hope I got that right. But I'll go real quick once more over my starting lineup in 2024 for the St. Louis Cardinals. Again, just using the pieces and the players that are in the organization right now. And then I'll talk about the bench options and maybe some differences that in things that I may have gotten wrong with this and where we might be able to correct that uh, with some obvious additions. Carlson, Walker, Goldsmith, Arenado, O'Neill, Gorman, Mason Wynn, Ivan Herrera, or Kisner, and Tommy Edmond batting ninth and playing second base. Bench options include Brennan Donovan, Lars Newtbar, who will still be pre-arb. And again, he had that OPS over 1,000 for the month of July. Pretty impressive. And uh, don't forget about Juan Yepes, who's been on the injured list with a forearm issue, but I think he's a perfect bat off the bench to be able to give you some pop. He can play a little bit of everywhere. And the Cardinals, unless they get good value for him in a trade, I think will still keep him around and be able to, to use his services in a, a variety of roles. Possible differences, some things that we might have wrong with this. Alec Burleson over Tyler O'Neill is one that I think is a distinct possibility, but for it to happen, Alec Burleson is going to need to get an opportunity in St. Louis at some point. He has been doing a really good job in Memphis, has caught attention of the prospect makers, 
uh, the list makers as he's gotten himself inside the top 100, according to Baseball America. I think he's there as well on MLB Pipeline. This season in 369 plate appearances, 335 is his batting average, which I, I don't even know if I realized he was hitting that well. 379 on base with a 562 slugging percentage for a 941 OPS with 19 home runs and 72 RBIs. That's a middle order bat and potentially the kind of guy that in the corner of your outfield, whether it's left or right, I think that's the kind of bat that fits there. Just like I was talking about a moment ago, you've got Dylan Carlson who does a lot of great things. I don't think he's a guy that's ever going to hit 30 home runs. I think with what Alec Burleson's showing you, at least this year in Memphis, he could be that kind of guy over a full season if he continues to develop. He's 23 years old, though, so it's getting to be that point where uh, it's put up or shut up. You'd like to see him at the big league level to give him a chance, uh, turns 24 in November, to show what he can do at the major league level. And if he doesn't get that chance soon, it could go the way of a Randy Rosarena where he's traded away, and, and you'll find out elsewhere whether or not he can hack it. I know Cardinals fans shudder to think about that, and so perhaps the Cardinals should find a way to get him up here in August or September. The problem with that is there's really nowhere to play him, especially Corey Dickerson. If he continues to play and play well, then I don't really know if there's an answer or an obvious spot, barring some sort of injury, which could happen, obviously, that would set up Burleson to get his chance. People have said, well, why did Connor Capel come up earlier in the year when they had all these outfielders on the injured list instead of Alec Burleson? Capel's not a guy that you figure is going to be part of your future. What was the deal with that decision? I think it was just a matter of they knew it was going to be short-term at the time, and Capel's a guy that if you need a spot on the 40-man, for better or worse, you can DFA him, and, and it won't be the end of the world. I don't think they feel that way necessarily about Alec Burleson, who's a top 100 prospect. So it's a kind of situation that it's been with Dylan Carlson, that it's been with Gorman, that it's going to be with Jordan Walker. Once they call him up, they want him to have a spot to be able to to play. And for Burleson, I think he's really worked his way into that opportunity. I don't think he was considered quite on that level as a prospect until he's just done so well this season that you're, you're forced to reckon with it and take note. However, right now, since July 11th, believe it or not, last 10 games, eight starts and 35 plate appearances for Corey Dickerson, he's hitting 364 with a 371 on base and a 636 slugging percentage. That's a 1,008 OPS for the last three weeks or so. Hasn't gotten a ton of opportunities, but when he has, he's produced. So that's not really a guy you can DFA, and that just puts Alec Burleson into a waiting game right now. So just keep slugging down there, and maybe he gets his chance, but... You've got Newt Bar performing. You've got Dickerson performing. That's good for the big league club. Nobody should be wishing for anything else, but it does mean a little bit longer of a wait, I think, for Burleson. But eventually, if he gets the chance and shows it, that could make a guy like O'Neill expendable. Burleson's cheaper, has more team control, probably not nearly as good of a defender, but you might sacrifice a little bit of that to be able to save some money, devote some money toward your pitching staff instead, whatever the case might be. So Burleson over O'Neill, I'm not saying I predict it, but it's possible. Uh, another possibility is that Nolan Arenado does opt out. And then you have Jordan Walker or Gorman sticking and playing primarily at third base. I don't see that, so we're not spending much time on it. But I just wanted to mention, if I'm wrong, that that could happen. But it won't. Mason Wynn, not quite ready at 22 years old. And so Edmund remains the shortstop with Gorman or Brendan Donovan primarily at second base. The other DHing. So that's another possibility. Edmund has played some shortstop this year. I know Paul DeYoung recently returned. He would not be under team control or his contract would be expired after 2023, barring the team picking up the club option for 24 or 25. Uh, even though he's looked a lot better at the plate recently, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on assuming the team will do that 
it is a, a pretty hefty salary, I think, for 2024 if they do pick it up. So I'm just going to assume for now that, that Paul DeYoung will make his merry way out of the organization by that point. But it's definitely possible he plays his way back into consideration. That's, I'm not going to count him out on that. But if I'm just going on likelihood here, I'm going to say that it's Mason Wynn or it's Edmund at shortstop rather than Paul DeYoung in 2024. And then the catcher spot, of course, I, I could give some consideration to Andrew Kisner. He'd be ARB2 at that point, would be a free agent after 2025. But if he can figure things out offensively, stick as the primary catcher, that's possible. But otherwise, I think that's the one spot that you've got your eyes trained on because you know after Yachty leaves, it's going to be a question mark as early as 2023. We're talking right now about 24, but it'll be a question mark next year. And uh, I think it's maybe something the Cardinals, rather than just kind of throw some veterans in, in the group in spring training, they might actually have to make a move to acquire somebody that they that they can trust in for next year if we don't see some sort of uptick in their opportunities for Herrera or Andrew Kisner over the remainder of this season. And you probably won't see that with Yachty healthy. So that's a spot to watch for in the uh, offseason for sure for the Cardinals. So if we're wrong, that's a couple of the ways in which we could be wrong. There are obviously trades and free agent acquisitions that are going to be made. Like I said, those are hard to anticipate. So for now, I like this little game. We'll do it from time to time when big shakeups happen organizationally. And we can sort of deduce how that might impact the future a couple of years down the road. It's fun to look ahead sometimes. Uh, you know, we're in the present very much, very often. But with this week, it just felt like a natural time to say, hey, I know that the present Cardinals didn't change a ton this week the way that people hoped they might with a Juan Soto trade. However, here's what that means for the future and uh, maybe something to get excited about. Carlson Walker, Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neill, Gorman, Wynn, Herrera, Edmund. Could be something you see a couple of years down the road. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Let me know what you think of that lineup. What changes would you make? What changes do you predict for the Cardinals in 2024? You can always let me know at bshafer12 on Twitter. Send me a tweet or go ahead and send me a direct message. My DMs, as always, are open for your conversation. So appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Thank you once again, and we'll talk to you next time on Shafe Daily. Peace.